And so what this journey has been about for me, you know, fear may be uh, defined by many as irrational beliefs, but when I am kind to my fear, it allows me to see fear as find evidence and rethink, find evidence and rethink. And so uh, this idea of kindness, remember now, I told you, fear has been my best friend for a very long time. And, and what's happening now is I'm saying, and I believe this child self who's being very honest, I'm not ready for fear to go because we have accomplished a lot in the name of fear. Um, uh, present day self is, is in this relationship with kindness, being open without rebuttal or debate towards fear. And I'm, I'm looking at it in a way of, okay, if that's what you feel, if that's what you believe, let's find some evidence and rethink it. And I believe what's happening for me and what I'm seeing in clients is fear is no longer this adversarial thing. It's not an opponent. It's something that we can be in relationship with. Welcome to the Mindful Rebel Podcast, the podcast where mindfulness and leadership intersect. My name is Sean Moore, and I create sacred space for personal discovery and self-exploration, whether that's through this podcast platform, design and branding services, sound healing and yoga nidra, workshop presentation facilitation, or Gallup certified strengths coaching. In this week's episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with John Diggs. John Diggs is a licensed professional counselor. As a psychotherapist and clinical integration consultant, he works to help individuals, families, and businesses find the mainspring, something that plays a principal part in motivating or maintaining a movement, process, or change. He has over 10 years of experience working with individuals and families coping with grief, trauma, HIV, chronic illness, depression, anxiety, self-esteem issues, domestic violence, high conflict relationships, and LGBTQ issues. This experience has given birth to the mainspring approach. So welcome to this week's episode of the Mindful Rebel podcast. I am excited to be in conversation with the John Diggs. Um, John, thank you for taking the time out to be a part of the show. Yes, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, I've you know followed the work that you do uh, for a few years now on Facebook. Um, not stalking, but you know I see I see dope things and I see great follow. Uh, some of my followers doing some amazing things, and um, I'm happy to be in conversation with you around the work that you do to dive in and learn a little bit more about what you do, um, and you know just understanding the times in which we're in, how you know dropping some nuggets um, around how folks can manage through you know the time in which we're in at the moment. So yes, I'm sincerely excited to chat, chat with you. So thank you. Thank you. And I'm happy to be here now in regards to some nuggets. I don't know if we'll get the people a five piece today, but perhaps we can get them at least three nuggets before we go. How about three nuggets? That? Three nuggets is good. Three nuggets, three nuggets is good. <laughs> so the great place to start is to get ourselves grounded in the conversation. And for me, when we, you know, when I am, able to chat with folks, you know, I like to start with some foundational, you know, aspects of your journey. So I guess a good place to start is what drew you to the work that you do currently as a psychotherapist and kind of how has that evolved over time? What drew me to the work? Uh, well, first, uh, Sean, more, always giving the people more. 
Uh, I appreciate uh, this platform that you are allowing me to engage with your audience. You know, you are very intentional about the work that you do. And so I hope that as I'm in this space, um, I can be a part of that intention. And, and today I want to be a student to our interaction. I actually have my pen and pad out because I'm ready to take notes too. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm really serious. You want me to hear? You want to hear the pages flip? I, I'm, I'm really serious. <laughs> Believe me, I know the people can't see me. Um, what brought me to the work? Okay, well, let's get right to it. I think it has a lot to do with the family that I come from. Uh, they're either educators or seers. That's how we identify ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. They're either educators or seers, and so I come from a line of people who worked in the school system. Um, who worked at the collegiate level. Um, and then folks who say things, I think about my grandmother when she says this, um, when she has dreams about fish, you know, that means someone's pregnant in the family. Well, you know, uh, but grandma has other ways in which she sees things, you know, and she'll say mm -hmm. things like sometimes, John Boy, be careful, watch out, because I had a dream about this. And so I guess being a student, uh, to processes, but also being open to the things in which I can't see in this physical realm. It just all kind of culminates into therapy because I think that's what a lot of therapy is about, being a student and learning from your process, but also imagining having hope, faith beyond things that uh, you can't see right now or, or wrap your head around. Does that make sense, Sean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the low-key side of that is um, what made me pursue this degree was fear. Mm. Hmm. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. Let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, fear was, was my best friend. And in many ways, currently, we're just trying to figure out a better way to play with each other. But... Um, a friend was my best friend um, and, and with sleep, in sleep, while I was awake, um, fear always kept me ready. It, it held me at night. Uh, when I was unsure of myself, uh, fear would speak to me in such a way that it would motivate me to be better. You know, and sometimes it would sound like, now look now, you know you ain't this, you know you ain't good enough, so you need to come through and push even harder. You know, and what I'm noticing now is, is that um, I am very thankful to that internal voice that's fed by fear. Uh, but currently, I think, not I think, I know I am establishing a new relationship to it. Uh, it's the idea that I can still have that motivation without the fuel being fear. Mm. And so that's a you know you 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 great segue um great segue because i i was going to ask that you know fear i think is something that's often pretty present in a lot of folks lives but you know i think there's a difference in how folks approach it and you know sometimes it can be harnessed as a motivator um and sometimes it can be one of those debilitating kind of things in our lives that keeps us from moving forward or you know stepping out on faith or doing something different in a new path and so how you know Thinking back some, you know, how were, how were you able to shape that as a motivator versus letting it become something that was overwhelming or debilitating in that way? 
uh, I'm sorry if if we believe this was an active process. Mm. <laughs> uh, no, it, it was a heartbreaking um, process because um, I'm not getting rid of my best friend. I mean, I really want you, even myself, to hear. You know, when I first came to Atlanta um, for school, And I still remember to this day, okay, you are around all of these wonderful and intelligent, smart young men. Um, you don't have a meal plan yet, and you may not have a dorm to live in, but I tell you what we will do, uh, and we may not even have books, but what we will do is you're going to show up every day and you're going to show out. And that showing up and showing out every day, day in, day out, it took its toll on me, Sean, because I never got a break. I was always in fight or flight mode. I was always in survivor mode. And so I, I wish I could say that I was in this position to shape and mold fear, but, but I wasn't. Uh, I, I got to a point where I was tired of its twins or its other best friends, fear and anxiety um, mm -hmm. being my safe place. I just got tired of it. And so I, let me make a connection here. You know, fear has a, a way of pushing us to fight or flight. And when we uh, engage with anxiety, which is a close cousin to it, um, it, it'll push us to a certain place. It'll activate adrenaline, cortisol. You know, it has influence over our involuntary and voluntary functions. And once you see that there's no way out, you know, that's where the safety of depression comes in. And I got tired of depression being my safe space. I got tired of anxiety being the only way that I could champion my narrative. And so in that space was a lot of broken times. Hmm. I, I one want to say thank you for you know, sharing and, and being transparent in that, that work, because, you know, I know, and, and oftentimes there's a stigma in, in many communities, you know, oftentimes marginalized communities that we are the folks that are dealing with levels of depression, anxiety, you know, at, you know, exponential rates more than, you know, some of our other counterparts. And so to be open and transparent about that, I, I appreciate that. You know, just understanding where we are right now in this, this pandemic across the world and you know depending on where listeners are various degrees of uh, quarantine various degrees of social distancing you know this this time has kind of catapulted all of us in a lot of different spaces right we're mm -hmm. all affected by this in a lot of different ways and i've talked to a few people that i know that are just in my orbit you know that you know are dealing with this differently and i know that depression seems to be something that whether named or unnamed is something that's creeping into a lot of folks spaces um, are there any advice that you would give to folks that may be grappling with it, particularly in the era that we're in now, on how to maybe work with, you know, and of course it's a process, right? But any advice that you'd have to, to kind of take a step towards um, dealing with it? Um, the first thing is, is to listen closely to those that are around you. You know what, Sean, I believe you are a child of the universe because only people who say things like in my orbit <laughs> you have a different kind of understanding of light, of love, of God. So, you know, it's, it's small moments like this, just simple, everyday, listening to the language 
because you're right, Sean. What I believe is people are speaking from the heart more. Um, they are moving from the superficial, superficial to the substantial. And so even after uh, this podcast connection, I'm going to send you some paperwork uh, so that we can be friends after this and pull you in closer. Uh, but, but this is the intentionality that's needed at this moment. Mm -hmm. Listen to people. And if you hear them say something that's resonating with you, pull them in closer. But do it in a way in which you're being kind. And for me, uh, kindness is being open to understanding a person or a process without rebuttal, without debate. And that leads me into this space of kindness. You know, if I could highlight something of the podcast among mm -hmm. um, all these wonderful nuggets that may have been dropped already. Um, what, we had two maybe now? I don't know. I, I, listen, I think we passed two. I think you think we passed two? We only yeah. had a pile of 29 for a five. <laughs> We're doing very good. I, I, um, listen, I think so. I think so. <laughs> uh, kindness uh, is about, listen, when we are around someone, right? someone new, for example, we are very good at giving pleasantries, yeah? We give good eye contact, um, we nod our heads, we may lean in, we may smile, especially if it's someone we want to be intimate with. And many of the things that the person may offer at that time, um, we don't judge, you know, we just sort of accept it for what it is. And it is my belief, and I've seen this in, in the clients that I work with and with self, what if we could turn our relationship to kindness, sort of being open, non-judgmental, what would happen if we turn that kindness inwards towards self? And so what this journey has been about for me, you know, fear may be uh, defined by many as irrational beliefs, but when I am kind to my fear, it allows me to see fear as find evidence and rethink. Find evidence and rethink. And so uh, this idea of kindness, remember now, I told you, fear has been my best friend for a very long time. And, and what's happening now is I'm saying, and I believe this child self who's being very honest, I'm not ready for fear to go because we have accomplished a lot in the name of fear. Um, uh, present day self is, is in this relationship with kindness, being open without rebuttal or debate towards fear. And I'm, I'm looking at it in a way of, okay, if that's what you feel, if that's what you believe, let's find some evidence and rethink it. And I believe what's happening for me and what I'm seeing in clients is fear is no longer this adversarial thing. It's not an opponent. It's something that we can be in relationship with. Does that make sense, Sean? Uh, listen, I'm, <laughs> ooh, I'm sitting here. I, I, I too... Uh, keep a notepad to take okay. when I'm when I'm chatting with my my podcast guests, and I'm sitting here. This page is scribbled all the way up. Uh, well, what you notes. what are you writing down? I can't see you. <laughs> this 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 idea of of redefining fear and redefining what that relationship is. I think that's like you. It's it's these all kinds of little light bulbs are going on over my head, and this. It's a, this, uh, yeah, yeah, this whole idea of redefining that relationship with fear, right? That it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have to be an adversarial thing, but it can be something that we work with if we kind of give it, give ourselves the grace to work with. Yeah. Yeah. You got that. That's it. Absolutely. And in the mainspring approach, it, it's first about kindness 
And then we move to grace because, and, and let me hear a little bit from you, please. I have come to experience grace as this thing of we, we know that something was wrong or we know that something needed to change, but we needed a little bit more time. Is that how you see grace? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's being, when I think of grace, I think of, like you mentioned, more time. It's that patience. Yeah, it's that patience to figure it out and and giving yourself that time gives you the ability to kind of then step back, look at it, move towards it, step back, look at it, then move towards it. And I think each time we engage with something that we cultivate a little bit more patience around, um, we start to look at it a little differently. We step yes. back and we step yeah. towards it, look at it a little differently. So, yeah, yeah. And if you can tell, I'm getting excited over here because <laughs> Me too. I mean, this, that that that's it. And and what I have found um, growing up in in church, and you know, grace and mercy has always sort of been these things, right? I think of uh, who is that Mississippi Mass Choir uh, when the solo is just said, "Your grace and mercy." And even now, as I say that, um, I get chills because I am aware of something how gentle grace and mercy is, uh, can really break through in what church folks would say, yokes. Uh, for me, it's about breaking through behavior patterns, thought processes, which also in some other spaces they call generational understandings or generational curses. Mm -hmm. That grace and mercy, just giving patience, love, kindness to something, is actually the thing that can interrupt a behavioral cycle. I, I get excited about that. You know, it, it's the idea that I don't have to fight with it. I don't have to wrestle with it. Just be kind to it, be open. And it is the belief that I have. And now I see the evidence that when there's less time given to conquering something, less time challenging it and learning how to be with it, that is actually the space for change. Mm. That's when fear says, oh, we doing something new? <laughs> 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 oh, okay. So I don't have to trigger my good cousin anxiety uh, to tell us to get prepared to fight or flight. I don't have to trigger our other friend and, and second cousin depression to prepare us for failure so that we feel safe in this dark place. Aha, uh -huh. so what is it that we're doing then? Aha, uh -huh. that's how I imagine fear sort of leaning in and going, <laughs> tell me more about, you gonna listen to me now? <laughs> mm -hmm. You're not running from me? You're not running? And so what I've learned is uh, fear's job, anxiety's job, depression, even if you think about it, uh, sort of over time, it was just to prepare us. It's to protect us. How we code it, how we engage it, can put us in a position uh, where we find ourselves suffering in secret and in silence. How we engage it places us in a cycle where we see ourselves suffering in secret and in silence. So I'm just gonna tell you, uh, I know we talked about not giving a five piece. I, I, we're, okay. we're, we're way over over that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Just, well, but I, I'm not mad, oh, yeah. I'm not mad. 
I'm okay. not mad. This is okay. just I'm just just letting you know that I'm I'm taking up the meter here, and it's, it's a lot of nuggets. So yeah, it's a lot of weird. nuggets right now. A lot of nuggets. I, I, are they still on sale five for ninety nine cent? Because I, I think so. I think so. But we didn't got it's a it's a couple of uh, uh, ninety nine cent ones. We about, okay. about about ten here. So it's cool. ten. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good okay so uh, one uh what i'd like to ask especially in the space that we're in um shifting from like this this conversation about fear into just kind of the practicality of the work that you do um you know as a as a, a licensed counselor how has this this need to social distance um in this shift into virtual spaces kind of shaped how you're approaching your work or has it, you know, just understanding how, you know, we have to change the dynamic of interaction. Has that shaped or informed your work in any yeah. kind of ways and, and how? Well, you know, there is some administrative things that had to be done. And it was a shift that initially fear said, we won't be ready. Uh, but my relationship to it said, why? No, really, why? Give me evidence of why it won't work. But in a gentle way, because I wanted to extract information from it. And it said that we wouldn't, it, it, I wouldn't be motivated, or I wouldn't be able to rise to the occasion. And then I asked, well, what would it look like if I took steps towards rising to the occasion? And it looked like me stopping and developing a plan. It looked like breaking that plan up into smaller pieces that was manageable for me. And what that did was it allowed me to anchor myself so that when I met my clients online, they could still have the same feeling as if they were in the office with me. But, but it wasn't until I cleared my space or at least created a space to deal in the fear that I could be anchored. And I hope that makes sense. Uh, sort of, I got to take care of me first, check in with me uh, before uh, I talk to clients. And the beautiful thing about it, Sean, and you know, I'll share in this space, I, I would just weep, weep with joy and gratitude after I think about the first or second day. I, I would just weep because what I had realized was me clearing my space allowed me to hear and engage my clients differently. I saw and could recognize that they had already made the shift too. And they were coming into session saying, hey, I went and got me a journal. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> what's happening? Yeah, and so you remember last time when we were together, here are the things that I wrote down. And John, hey, I don't have a big place or big apartment, but I have designated this one corner in my place to be my therapy space. And, and even now I am overcome with joy and gratitude because what I realized was even though we were not in my office, a, a dedication to this idea of practicing kindness towards self was bigger than the situation that we were in. Mm. The idea that I could be kind to myself even during COVID and that they were finding concrete ways to apply that into their life. I, I didn't know that that was gonna happen. And so it reinforced and it created this feedback loop of, hey, John, no need to be fearful. Uh, you can do this, just apply your steps. And then to see the clients doing it as well, I said, whoa, what's going on in this moment? And it really boils down to the three steps, Sean, that 
I work with um, clients, but also I'm engaging it differently now. And it's three steps, tell the truth, set intention, tell a different story. Tell the truth, set intention, and tell a different story. And what I believe is happening is uh, under the auspices of there's only one principle, and that is all of you is welcomed. There's only one principle to the mainspring approach, and that is all of you is welcomed. And so even in telling your truth, you're still welcomed. Even in setting your intention, all of you is still welcomed. Even in trying to navigate this new space, minister to self, or give self-positive talk, still all of you is welcome. And it's because we have created this bridge between mind and heart to be kind to be kind to the fear, to be kind to the anxiety, to be kind to the depression, to be kind to the ways in which I'm questioning my own space, my role to my partner, my children, my job and work. I just wanna be kind to it so that I can understand and I can find new evidence. And if it says I need to pivot or shift, then I will do so because that's what's kind to me. Okay, Sean, now see, now you done opened up the gates. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nah, nope. I was letting you go. I'm I, listen. It's 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 amazing because I'm I'm just sitting here right with you because it's amazing in the work that you that we do when you're sharing or creating space for other folks is that oftentimes you know if we don't do the work ourselves and I'm using this from the lens of you know I, currently you know my full time gig is working at Morehouse uh, with students and I found myself in that similar space especially with our transition to. Uh, virtual work that I had a lot of stuff I was working through as we transitioned but the moment I started interacting with students I was like oh y'all are ready y'all have ri y'all have risen y'all are y'all have risen to the occasion yeah, so yeah, I need to get my stuff ready, together. right <laughs> right so it's like I got to get myself together to make sure right. that I'm still there to meet you and that that everything that I'm dealing with work through but that has nothing to do because are the folks that we're here to serve they're ready and yes. they made adjustments that, that, that they need in order to still seek the information, still, you know, engage in that safe space. Um, it's just you getting out of your own way. <laughs> yes, getting out of your own way. Did you have a reflection moment where you saw or, or understood, wait a minute, so what I was saying to them, they were listening yep. and, and sort of getting that, that reflection moment and saying, oh, wait a minute. Y'all already okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Ex exact same exact. I was like, oh wow, like, yo. And for me, I that was one right out the other. Y'all were y'all really internalized this, and y'all are still ready. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was that was the moment of fear, saying, John, what if they're ready, and what if you're not in a space to do it? And that was the moment where I I had to pause and say, now wait a minute. I understand and, and respect and in relationship to fear. Uh, that's what we do. Okay, we can get prepared to fight or flight. Uh, but in this moment, if I offer you kindness, let me hear what you're really saying. Ah, John, you're going to be a hypocrite if you're not ready. You're not going to be talking the talk and walking the walk. That's really what fear was saying to me. And I said, well, what if we just decided to stop and just make a plan? Why, why don't we do what we've been saying or telling others to do. And, and that was the moment of grace. 
And now it has allowed me to be in this transformative space with, with clients and listening to their process and collecting data and enjoying and engaging the power of the pivot. Mm. So that's a great segue into, I want to, I, I want to talk some more about, you know, you've, you've, you've talked about it a bit, but I want to dive a little bit more into the main, um, the mainspring approach, you know, and I know that's, that's kind of the, the foundational piece to your approach to the work that you do. So can you talk to me a little bit more about what the mainspring approach is and, and, and why that's kind of served you well as kind of the undergirding of the work that you do in that way? Sure. And it, yeah. it came in pieces, Sean, I wish I could say, uh, sort of, one day I woke up and ta-da, here it was. No, sir. Uh, th this was a gradual, uh, joyous, sometimes painful process to get to this point. You know, in, in school, I love theory, okay? Um, I do. And I, I eat it up because I am in the psyche of people and how they see and how they understand things. But one thing that was challenging for me was man, how do you roll that out in day-to-day -day operations? Like, what's the take-home message? And so in this approach, um, I wanted to find a word that meant change, but that wasn't enough. You know, uh, I needed it to articulate finding something to help you maintain that change. And when I looked to my mentor and the name of his practice is Cornerstone, uh, I did a word search and I said, mainspring, what is this mainspring? And so including that mentoring relationship and experience that he gave me, and I saw the name of his practice, and I said, well, hey, John, what are we going to call ours? And uh, to have a cornerstone, a pillar, that just wasn't enough for me. Mm. I needed a forward movement. And so mainspring, by definition, is understanding or finding that thing that helps us maintain the process or change. Finding that thing that helps us maintain the process or change. And for me, the conduit for that, the bridge for that is kindness. And so if you think about forward motion, you think about kindness towards self, then you have no other choice but to have one principle. And that is all of you is welcome. In the process of understanding all of you is welcome, there are three steps. Uh, tell the truth, set intention, tell a different story. And it's this idea that it's fluid. As you're learning to welcome all parts of you, you can go back to step one, even if you're on step three, that's okay. Because inherently, if we welcome all of you, it says it doesn't have to look a certain way or go a certain way. I'm only, and I'm, I'm, pro, I'm processing. I'm like, hmm. I'm, I'm, I love that the approach, and I love that this focus, this kindness to self. I, I think that that's such a, um, it's such a, I think, undervalued aspect, even in its simplicity. And I think that's what, what makes it so groundbreaking is that it's like a lot of this stuff can be worked through if we just approach ourselves from a kind perspective. Because yes. a lot of that is like we, 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 something from our language to what we do. Oftentimes we're, we we inflict so much uh, 
judgment. on ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> judgment on ourselves. Yeah. And that that can only only emanate out in our interactions with the rest of the world. And so even just starting with self, just being kind to yourself can just change so much of your own personal perspective as you kind of move and navigate through the world. And and so I think here's a good space to talk about um you know my internal thoughts around well john how are you how are you going to be kind uh, to others to yourself uh, and the platform that you are on because with this understanding there is responsibility mm. okay john well what is that responsibility whoa that feels very overwhelming mm. and i don't think i can do that and so it is this internal dialogue with fears with anxiety uh, with those spaces of ourselves that feels inadequate or insecure to say, listen, I, I surrender. I, I don't even want to fight with you. I, I just want to know more. And so from that more, it, it launched the space of, John, you ain't got to do it all on your own. Who told you that to spread the message of kindness, you have to do it on your own. And that in and of itself, Sean, was freeing. Because I tri it, was a, it was a lie. If, I, if I'm doing step one and tell the truth, I lied to myself. And not from a space of judgment, I'm just calling it out. John, it was a lie. You told yourself that in order to give this vision, it had to all be you. No, no, my son. No, baby. No, my brother. No, no. It's, it's just the one vision. You do your part and you watch and see how the others will come around and assemble. And so I'm happy and pleased to say, oh, there's the unfolding of the intention. Okay, Sean, so we're here in the moment as a part of the platform to share kindness. Do my part. And now here comes Sean with his platform doing his part. Boom, there it is. Okay, got it. Hmm. All right, we may want to come back to that in just a second, but I, I was trying to go somewhere and then it hit me what this moment was about. <laughs> That's synergy. Ah, wow. Okay. Um, and, and, and these are the moments when you're kind to yourself. Um, you, you just naturally elevate because you realize that truth doesn't have to be a bad thing, you know? Uh, it doesn't have to be something that hurts. It doesn't have to be. It can just be truth what is. All right. Listen, let me come out that door. If not, I'll, st uh, I'll start going towards the heavens in just a moment. And so we, we want to make sure we stay on target here. No, you're I, fine. I, you're reached fine. Out, I reached out to the counseling brothers of Atlanta and they were already doing some great work. Okay. They're on Instagram at the counseling brothers of Atlanta and, uh, and Avery, um, who is the leader of this, this online group, uh, he was assembling a space for us to come together, offer supervision, he was offering a space of men of color to come together and share insights and also act as a referral source. And I, I pitched it to them. I said, you know, hey, what would it look like if we all got together and decided to share kindness into the world? That was it. That was my job. And from that, and I'm so thankful for these men because they've come together and surrounded the project. And it looks and feels a little different now, but that's okay because my job was to only speak to the vision. And so, and being kind to the calling 
and being kind to my responsibility, this thing has now taken on a new height. And so what we're doing now is recording videos that we're gonna share through the month of May, sharing with people about, from a clinical perspective, from men who are clinicians of color, saying, hey, this is how we make it through tough times. Here's what I've learned. Here's what this has allowed me to do. And here's a singular truth that I want to share with you, a singular truth. And so maybe it will resonate with different people um, within Georgia, United States, and across the world, where they can look into us and maybe parts of our stories will resonate, which will allow them to accept kindness in their heart towards self, self-acceptance, self-actualization. I'm inspired. I'm just inspired at the moment. Um, yeah. What, how can my, how can my listeners uh, tap into uh, this resource? Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. go ahead. No, you're Go ahead. <laughs> uh, on Instagram, you have the counseling brothers of Atlanta across my social media, which is mainspringcts.com or the mainspring CTS, you know, Sean, I am learning how to do Instagram and Facebook and zoom and, Doom, Doxy Me, dot, 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 dot. you know, so many names for things. And I, I must have missed the wave of it, but I digress. Listen, um, it's going to come out on the Counseling Brothers of Atlanta for sure on their Instagram. So whether you like or subscribe or follow, right? Follow. Mm -hmm. Good. Mm -hmm. And you can also <laughs> tune into across my social media, Mainspring CTS. And that's on Instagram and Facebook. I'm also going to put this on my website. Uh, mainspringcts.com and showing these personal narratives and while you're there um, listen I got two previous clients Sean um, Alexis and Megan and they have agreed we filmed this maybe uh, three months ago and they're sharing their journey through the mainspring approach and you have Megan who was dealing with anxiety and you have Alexis who was dealing with overcoming cancer, healing from cancer. And so please go on to YouTube, uh, Mainspring CTS, and look at these videos and how applying kindness to self, what that really looks like when I'm living with anxiety or with I'm living with cancer. Uh, so that's another project that we got moving right now around kindness. And so all of those resources that you listed for my listeners, they'll be listed in the description part of the podcast. So Wherever, wherever you're listening to the podcast, whether Spotify, Apple Music, or Anchor, click down in the description and there'll be links to the Counseling Brothers IG, the Mainspring CTS YouTube, uh, social media, and the website. That will all be in the description. So you don't have to click too far. Click down and check out these amazing resources, please. John, a question I want, I want to ask you, and I, I like to ask mental health professionals this question. Um, particularly mental health professionals of color, we often hear this stigma or idea that, you know, black folks don't seek mental health services. Um, ha in your career, has that been a barrier for you? And if it has been, maybe how have you addressed it? Or have you had a different relationship with that sort of stigma that tends to come from our communities? I had a different relationship. Um, with that stigma. And I, my platform serves 
um, people who want kindness, and particularly people who see themselves as feeling deeply as empaths, and also folks who are leaders and responsible for the leadership of others. And so if I look at my practice, um, I am just delighted and, and, and gracious that I've been allowed to speak to a wide array of people with different challenges, different backgrounds. And as I'm thinking about it now, um, my um, population that I serve, guess what, Sean? It's, it's equally balanced. Mm. And what I get excited about is sometimes I have to stop myself and go, wait a minute. Man, like 50, 60% of who you see are people of color, you know? But, you know, but it fluctuates. And I guess the space that I serve in, I am so accustomed to serving people of color. Uh, I'm so accustomed to serving women, uh, white, black, many colors, that sometimes it almost becomes, it's a natural experience for me. And when I meet people, um, we don't meet in a way where it's diagnosis first. It's human experience, human interaction first. Tell me who you are and tell me how I can serve you. And I guess because, not I guess, but I do know, when you enter a conversation like that with someone under the umbrella of mental health, there's not a lot of room for stigma. There's, there's not a lot of room for isms. It's, it's just not. And so from where I sit, and, and, and maybe I'm naive or could be ignorant, and you please share with me, uh, I just don't see that in my space. Mm. Am I being naive or am I being ignorant that uh, this idea of people of color not accessing mental health um, is bigger than what I understand? What I, what I would say, and I, I don't think it's a, a space of uh, ignorance. I think that, and you know, that's the reason why something just said that the question should be asked that way is what is your relationship with that stigma? Because I just got the vibe that it wasn't something that you've experienced. Um, but I do think, I, I think what's interesting about that is that you have a very um, specific niche of who you provide services to and I think that that is kind of part of that but the beautiful piece is that you know even how you led with that is just I'm working with folks who you know are are, are looking for kindness right like it's it's a very specific and in that there isn't like you said there isn't space for the the isms and all the other things that it's you know whoever is ready to kind of seek the services in that way is who kind of the universe puts kind of on your path uh, to seek those services. So I know I, I absolutely understand um, where you're coming from. And I, I, what I think about that is that I think oftentimes now, I think that stigma is changing. Um, I think that I think that sometimes there are narratives that get carried out bigger than probably what they really are. Um, and sometimes that helps keep, that helps maintain a cycle that isn't the best for for people but i think that if you really probably look at the numbers there's an increase on uh folks of color folks in marginalized communities seeking these services um particularly with the accessibility to i think some of these services widening with you know technology what i hear oftentimes with my students at morehouse is that like um you know hey i i have a, a counselor i have a therapist that i see online right and this yeah. is pre this is pre 
you know, quarantining, right? That students exactly. were like, oh man, I've been, I've been seeing a, a counselor for about two or three months yeah. uh, via Zoom and I have access and there are programs that provide. One of my students that, I, uh, that I'm, I'm pretty close with have mentioned this. He was like, hey, I found a program that provides black men, you know, eight free sessions. And so I'm on my third session um, yes. and I've been taking advantage of that. So I do think that there are, um, the narrative is shifting. And I do think that with accessibility to resources, with virtual spaces being uh, a much more open and, and common thing, that that gap is probably closing some. I would agree with you. And I remember maybe three, four months ago, there was a trauma that occurred in the Atlanta University Center, the AUC. And I reached out to the SGA president and also the psychological services department. And I said, um, hey, anyone that needs some therapy and maybe they don't feel comfortable coming on campus, uh, here's my contact information. Here's the number of slots that I can provide pro bono and here is the number of sessions that I can provide with linkage uh, to another therapist. And people, the young men responded. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, from Morehouse, they responded and they showed up. And I think there were about two from Clark Atlanta um, that came on board as well. And I was offering brief, a brief solution work where it was maybe four to six sessions, specifically on managing what they had felt and what they had experienced in the AUC. And I do believe, and maybe it's my job to share a narrative that more people of color, that more men of color are accessing mental health care because they, they want to be mentally well. Yeah. And I just, you know, it, uh, especially with this, this younger generation is that, you know, even in the vein of accessibility, right, there's more education around that. So the conversations that they're having around mental health, when I think back to when I was in college, I wasn't able to articulate half the things that they're able to articulate, even about their own personal identity, right? And so with their expansion of understanding who they are, their, I think, expansion of what they need in terms of mental health, I think also grows there. And so that they're seeking things probably earlier than, than you know, I, for me, I, I, I could tell you in, in all honesty, I never thought about, you know, counseling or psychology or, or seeing a psychologist or anything in undergrad. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I was like, that's an older person thing. That's a later in life thing. That's not sure. in my orbit, you know, and, and my relationship to mental health from that perspective shifted later later on in my own personal experience. But for these students and where they are, they're having these conversations at 18, 19, 20. Um, yes. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing because it's like, you're having the conversation earlier, let's connect you to resources earlier, and that can help shift trajectory, shift mindset, shift perspective at such an earlier age too. Exactly, and I'm also noticing with, uh, I would say from a 16, no, that wouldn't be the truth. I would say from 12 years old to 25, what I uh, have engaged with clients coming in between that age group, uh, I would say a 12, 12 to 25. Listen, th therapists have to adjust. You know, this idea of six months of therapy, that ain't it. <laughs> that, that's not it. And, you know, there are some things that could happen that may require six months. But it's, it's really challenging, and I think it is a good space to be challenged in. 
is, is what, do, what does therapy look like for the, new, the newer generations who will go and do some, some individual work after therapy? who will go and purchase a journal or listen to a podcast. You know, there are other ways to do self-development work outside of therapy. And uh, how do we adjust and what kind of tools do we provide? And one of the things that I'm very uh, proud of about Mainspring Approach is it has three steps. It's, it's so naturally people go, okay, good. If I can get these three steps down, I'm good. Well, me knowing, now listen, it, it's a journey, but I think that's helpful in incoming clients saying, okay, this is something tangible. I can put my hand on that. That makes sense to me uh, as a grounding factor so that even after their three or four sessions end, they can still practice the steps on their own. And I think that is causing a shift or it should be causing a shift among all clinicians to better serve uh, people who want brief solution focused work. Hmm. You just dropping you still dropping these nuggets, huh? <laughs> what we got now? What do we oh, we got a we probably got a salad and a milkshake. Yeah, <laughs> we we had like a 20 piece at this moment. This Whoa. <laughs> okay, all right. So it's all good. It's all good. This has been a great, 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 great conversation. Um what I like to you know I appreciate it. Well, one, I want to say, are there any other outside of the resource that, that, that you have uh, collaborated and birthed with the, the counseling brothers, are there any other resources that you'd like to share um, with the listeners um, that may be beneficial to their own personal growth and development? Uh, yes. So you have the, the initiative that'll come out, digital videos, the counseling brothers, don't forget to go on YouTube and check out the journey of Alexis and Megan. They were gracious enough to allow us, the viewers, insight into their process. And um, on the website, my website, there is some readings that you can look at to better understand what kindness looks like in individual therapy, couples, and family. Because kindness takes on a different shade, a, a different lens when you're applying counseling to the individual versus the system. And for the folks who will listen, um, to you and I share, Sean Moore. I want to ask the people for something. Uh, Mainspring is in the middle of expanding because I wanted the narrative to be that sort of when the world shut down or it slowed down, I wanted my narrative to be that I was planting seeds, and that I was doing what I needed to do to expand. And so when those listeners hear it, I want them to send their positive vibes, positive energy towards me, towards Mainspring, to cover us in light. And I hope that makes sense um, mm -hmm. to your audience, that they would, they would cover us or ask the light to shine upon us. Because expansion means that I'm able to provide a space for other providers, which means we can bring in uh, more services provide more space for more clients to come in and understand this relationship to kindness while we're also treating people for what western psychology states or believes is anxiety depression um, bipolar um, and several there's other that i can go down the list but that's it but so specifically please when you listen to this shine the light towards us Think about us and your positive thoughts. So 
that you understand that even when things were slowing down, this idea of kindness, I, as the messenger of it, as the facilitator of kindness, was doing the work to expand. And so if you could um, send your positive thoughts my way so that even I can be in a space of focus, in a space of love, in a space of gratitude as we expand and prepare ourselves for our new office to open up in June. And I feel like you kind of just, so I, I normally end the podcast with a, with a pretty hefty question um, that I get a lot of pause on when I ask this question, but I feel like you've tapped into this um, okay. kind of already, <laughs> uh, right. which is a good, it's a great thing. Okay. Um, but I like to ask folks, you know, that, you know, at the end of the day, through the work that they do, um, what do you envision your legacy being? Yeah, um, John was an author of kindness. Um, John has always been a curious person about what love is and what unconditional love is. And from a very young age, I've always questioned, how do we get to love? How do we get to unconditional love? And from where I am in my journey now, Sean, I realize that we rarely get to experience a perfection moment in which we get to taste, see, engage love and most certainly more limited experiences with unconditional love. What I am clear about, my intention is set. I want to be an author, a facilitator of kindness. It is my belief and just my belief that kindness is a bridge or it's a way to look through the window into love and to unconditional kindness. Because what I understand about our thought process, this body, this flesh and bone that we're in, man, listen, it, it just want to do what it wants to do, <laughs> you know? And so sometimes it doesn't always do right by self. And sometimes it doesn't always do right by others. But if we could have an everyday practice, an everyday practice, it's, it's hard to practice love. It's, it's, it's challenging to be in that space when we so rarely get to experience it. But we can, in an active way, we can practice kindness. And it is my belief that the more that we understand our relationship to kindness, the more we get to understand what love is, what unconditional love is, what the light is that connects us all. That's what I want my legacy to be. I am persuaded that no matter what happens, I, I am convinced I submit to the universe And I want to be clear, my tears, it's not about hurt or pain. It's about when you have an understanding and you can practice kindness, even speaking and conceiving of it, it places you in a situation to be open and into gratitude. And it is such an emotional moment. Your body, your mind is flooded with it because it's in that moment that you're clear about what your purpose is. You're clear. And so no matter what happens with COVID, no matter what happens, what relationships may come and go, no matter the hurt and pain of your journey, use kindness and allow it to connect you. Allow it to connect you to your, your calling. Be kind to the calling. 
And so my tears are about gratitude. It is about joy because I know what I know to be true. And I know my assignment. I don't even have to be concerned about legacy because I know this is a truth. It is a purpose that people need to understand. I'm just the facilitator or messenger of it. And to that, I say, thank you. Just thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be in this space. I'm not concerned anymore. Because I found a way to set myself free from judgment. It's not a destination, it's a practice every day in this moment. I'm free because of kindness. All right, Sean, we probably ate about another five-piece nugget. We should really <laughs> stop because we definitely are. cause us to shift into another space. Listen, John, I'm out of sincere, sincere gratitude. Thank you. Um, for, for showing up and, and sharing space with me in this way today to the podcast. Um, I get the vibe that this is not the last time we'll chat. Um, <laughs> I am, am sure of that. Um, okay. And I really want to say thank you. Um, thank for providing, you. you know, amazing uh, information um, for, for providing, you know, your perspective on life and just being you and sharing that um, wholeheartedly um, with myself uh, and the listeners. So, Thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time, Sean. It is in gratitude that I say thank you for listening to this episode of the Mindful Rebel podcast. If you like what you heard, please follow us on your favorite podcast platforms. That includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, and TuneIn. If you want to learn more about the work that I do as a mindfulness practitioner, Gallup Certified Strengths Coach, and Graphic Designer, you can check out my website. That's SeanJMoore.com. Again, that's SeanJMoore.com. Thank you again, and I hope this platform serves you in your own personal growth and development.